Welcome everyone to Roger's List. This is the podcast where we are watching every single one of Roger Ebert's great movies. My name is Steve Guntley and I'm the one that tempted your grandpa. And I am Michaela Nicholson. Nice to meet you. <laughs> well, today we are talking about Cleo from 5 to 7, a uh, great early work by Agnes Varda. Oh. But first, as always, we are going to look back on the movie we talked about last week, <laughs> way in the past. In the Do you even machine. remember the past? Oh my God, barely. It's Oof. like, psh, be the future already. It was like jerks. almost 100 years ago now. It was at least that when I last <laughs> saw this movie in theaters. Uh, so the Metropolis essay. Uh, so Ebert wrote this essay in 1998, and then he updated it in 2010 mm -hmm. to comment on the new restoration. So mm -hmm. that essay kind of combined elements from both time periods. Mm -hmm. uh, Pretty straightforward, I thought, for yeah, the most part. Kind of um, typical, like, here's what happened, synopsis, and, like, various mild observations. But yeah. we don't really get, like, a lot of classic Ebertisms. I mean, really, I feel like we kind of struck a similar tone on our episode as he struck here because uh, I think he makes a good point that there's not really a whole lot of depth to the story to dig into, even with the expanded scenes and, like, the more filled-out characters. There's not really a whole lot of meat to this story mm -hmm. um, and it's really kind of all about letting the visuals wash over you mm -hmm. which is a lot of what he commented on in yeah. the, uh, the essay which mm -hmm. I thought made sense I did like his little bit about um, uh, special effects where he said um, the result was astonishing for its time without all the digital tricks of today Metropolis fills the imagination today the effects look like effects but that's their appeal looking at the original King Kong I find that its effects primitive by modern standards gain a certain weird effectiveness because they look odd and unworldly compared to the slick, utterly convincing effects that are now possible. They're more evocative. The effects in modern movies are done so well that we seem to be looking at real things, which is not quite the same kind of fun. Yeah. When I read that paragraph, I was thinking about the evil Maria dancing scene yeah. and how unsettling that scene is um, and how it wouldn't, I don't think it would have the same unsettling quality if it was filmed today. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. Especially with all the eyes, like the very, I like how he, he put the very wet eyes that they, uh, they <laughs> all have filling the screen, you know, yeah. it's a nice uh, visual and uh, seemingly a theme of our show so far. What with uh, Unchian Andalou and everything. We're, mm -hmm. We're in the real wet eye section of our list. Yeah. We've had a lot of abstract stuff, a lot of like arty farty stuff so far. Yeah, we have. Um, but, you know, that's the list. One part of the essay that I kind of liked um, and kind of reminded me of modern times was when he was talking about the clock. Mm. Um, so he was like, consider the first glimpse of the underground power plant with workers straining to move heavy dial hands back and forth. What they're doing makes no logical sense. But visually, the connection is obvious. They are controlled like hands on a clock. When the machinery explodes, Fredder has a vision in which the machinery turns into an obscene, devouring monster. Um, and I liked that just because of thinking back to the gears in modern times, mm -hmm. and that sort of made that connection with, with modern times in this movie for me. So that was nice. Yeah. I liked it. Oh, yeah, we didn't even comment on those machines when we talked mm -hmm. about the movie, but mm -hmm. I did love the machines, and like it seems to be matching up the hand to the blinking light bulb. It's almost like an arcade game, mm -hmm. but yeah. like with really heavy arms and you have to do it for 10 hours without stopping, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. I wonder what that prop was actually like. Yeah, you think heavier. there was somebody behind, like, working switches and you just had to keep up with it? Maybe. Like, Sounds like kind that, of a fun game. I'm willing to bet that machine did nothing. It didn't do anything in the city. It's just to keep people busy. It's yeah. like a, I don't know. Today it would be a workout machine. Yeah. Uh, well, all right, let's get into our movie today. We are talking about the film Cleo from 5 to 7. It was released... April 11th, 1962, directed by Agnes Varda. 
and it stars a bunch of French names I'm going to mangle, so excuse <laughs> me now. Uh, Corinne Marchand as Clio, Dominique Devray as Angèle, uh, Dorothée Blanc as Dorothée, Antoine Brossillard as Antoine, and Jose Luis de, la, de Villalonga as Jose. I mean, these are all good really job, bad for job. native <laughs> French and Spanish speakers. I apologize. You tried. Uh, yeah, we're, we're getting into one of only four female filmmakers mm-hmm. that made this list. Yeah. And one of the other ones being Triumph of the Will. Yeah, so. which like you almost don't want to count because <laughs> yeah. it's Lenny Riefenstahl. Mm-hmm. The others are uh, Ripley's Game, directed by Liliana Cavani, and Lost in Translation, developed, mm. uh, directed by Sofia Coppola. Did you see Sofia Coppola's new movie? Has a trailer now? No, I didn't. Oh, What's it, her new movie? It's um, it's called On the Rocks, and it oh. look. I mean, I guess now this is going to be on the record, so maybe I'll eat these words. Mm. But it looks really bad. <laughs> I have not. I'll be honest. I have not checked in with Sofia Coppola since I think Marie Antoinette. Oh, really? Like, you haven't seen the Bling Ring? I haven't seen the Bling Ring. Is oh, well, it worth watching? I like the Bling Ring. A lot. Okay, yeah, but I didn't see somewhere. Mm. I didn't see. Um, there was something else. Oh, in there, she did right? a very like Bill Murray Christmas movie. Oh, I did watch back. that. That was, that was the one. strangest movie. Yeah. yeah, this kind of looks like a similar. It's Bill Murray again and Rashida Jones, who are both. Sorry, I don't mean to stray too far for Adam Sparrow. No, but, no, no. Um, yeah, who were both in that Christmas special, and it seems like a father daughter sort of bonding movie, but it oh. just looks. The trailer just makes it looks very indie generic it's maybe it's just a really bad trailer but it did not get me hype oh okay i'm, I'm i know this now this is the this is an apple tv mm-hmm. exclusive yeah. right okay yeah. see that's why i don't that's that you know it's one streaming service too far <laughs> you know i've got too many of these things i can't keep up with it to begin with yeah uh but yeah i am excited to talk about agnes varda i mean <laughs> having seen all of the other female directed movies on this list i mean oh, i would yeah. venture to say this is my favorite ah! Uh, and this one movie was totally new to me. I only saw this yesterday. Oh, uh, and wow. uh, Michaela, you've seen this many times. You're yeah. a Varda stan. I am a Varda stan. I have a Varda sweatshirt. I heard you say uh, off the air, uh, <laughs> uh, and you said this, and so I can't get in trouble because you said it. You said, nothing gets me harder than Varda. <laughs> you said yep. it. And that it, is I, verbatim I thought, what I said. I said, if I said this, this would sound kind of <laughs> sexist and gross. But luckily, <laughs> but Michaela said me, it. from me out of Steve's mouth. So I should I get that on a baseball cap. clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I love, I love Agnes Varda. I'm a huge fan of her documentaries. Yeah. The Gleaners and I is like a mm, chef's kiss, kiss, kiss. Mm. Um, also, Beaches of Agnes is one of my top four favorite movies of all time. Wow. I just think that she is a lovely ass human being. She was a lovely ass human being. Yeah. Yeah. Long live. She only passed just last year yeah. at the age of 90. Yeah. Uh, and she was a badass to the very end. She got her, uh, is it her first Oscar nomination when I think she was so. 87? Yeah. Like, in, yeah, like, that's insane to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a hell of a career. And she's such an influential figure, and she mm-hmm. really does not get the credit she deserves. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is not my first film of hers. I've seen Vagabond many times. Oh, cool. Times do you like Vagabond? I do like Vagabond. Nice. I, I took a film study class mm-hmm. on that, and that's one of the movies yeah. that was on the course, and it was great. I like that one. Um, yeah, <laughs> from 1985. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Agnes Varda. Yes, so she was born Arlette Varda in Belgium in 1928, and... I think you. I think it's safe to say you hear her name brought up anytime someone's making a list of greatest female film directors of all time. Like yeah. she's one of the she's one of the few that you like have at the top of your head. Like, oh, well, obviously she's going mm-hmm. on the list. Yeah, you know? she's like the grandmother of the French New Wave. She is. Which okay. Oh yeah, I want to go into that, but we'll 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 talk about that <laughs> in a second. So yeah, so Varda may not be a, a household name here, but she is one of the principal architects of the New Wave movement, and and she really doesn't get the credit she deserves. Uh, 
but uh, she aspired to be a museum curator when she was little, and she actually mm-hmm. studied at the Louvre for that, but she quickly decided that photography was going to be her chosen field. Mm-hmm. So she found a lucrative little side career as a stage photographer, where she would take photos of various theater companies around Paris. And then in the mid-1950s, almost on a whim, she kind of decided to become a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so unlike a lot of her friends, she was friends with all that Caillou du Cinema crowd and Alan René and people like that. Like, they were all dyed-in-the-wool cinephiles. They lived at the movie theater. They watched mm-hmm. everything that came out. Mm-hmm. Varda, by her own admission, when she made her first movie, she had seen 10 movies in her life, mm-hmm. which is nuts. Yeah. Uh, and it also kind of put her in the position of being like, well, I don't know what the rules are, so I don't need to follow them. I yeah. can kind of just do whatever. Yeah, she did what she found aesthetically appealing, and and she used her imagination, and she was really creative. You want to know who weirdly has a similar story? Who? Wes Craven. Really? Wes Craven was raised in a uh, extremely strict, like Orthodox Baptist household. Aww. He didn't see a movie for the first time till he was twenty years old. Oh wow! And Damn. then, uh, like ten years later, he made Last House on the Left. So maybe kinda... that's what it takes for some people is like to not be tainted by the conventions of what a movie is or what a movie can be, and to just sort of come at it with your own vision. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a worst case scenario, you get Freddie get fing- Freddie get fingered. Um, <laughs> ah, that masterpiece is a pretty bad case scenario. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so uh, uh, her first film, Agnes Varda's first film, was made in nineteen eighty or nineteen fifty four. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. It's a very quiet drama about a struggling couple in a small fishing village, and it's called La Pointe Côte. Uh, the film was heavily praised by the Cahiers du Cinema crowd, like uh, Godard and Truffaut, mm-hmm. and all these people who we're going to talk about. But. Uh, oops. Sorry, pausing the recording. Uh, so yeah, she, um, yeah, but uh, so this is kind of, in some circles, this is pointed to as the first film of the French New Wave, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think that she doesn't get the proper credit for that. I like, know. It's weird to think that Godard is a household name and she isn't. Yeah. Because I find her films are level with his, if not better, at least to my taste. Oh, To my taste, I am not a Godard fan, so... Uh, <laughs> I guess we should go into that too. What do you? What is your thoughts on the French New Wave? And that's something we're going to talk about a lot. And this yeah. is kind of the first time it comes up. Um, I guess of all the film movements, I'm not like bothered by it. I find French New Wave like easy to watch. Mm. I feel like it's somewhat familiar to me, probably because it is like European. Yeah. And like it, it can. I mean, Agnes Varda's films are obviously my favorite because they center around women, and yeah. I think they are so like thoughtfully told. I think. In some French new wave, I don't want to name names, but maybe Godard. I'm mm-hmm. a little bit like, okay, this is hoity-toity, heady, sort of pretentious for the sake of being pretentious, chain-smoking in a coffee restaurant in a black turtleneck kind of thing. That's, yeah. <laughs> and my eyes kind of glaze over, especially like thinking about all of the Agnes Varda catalog that I have yet to explore. When I do end up watching a French new wave film, whether it be for a class or for a project or whatever... I can't help but feel a little bit like sometimes, you know what I mean? Well, it's also, I, I, I've never been able to connect with the French New Wave. And I think it's just because it's so rooted in machismo, mm. in in uh, being the coolest, being the hottest, mm-hmm. being the biggest asshole. Mm-hmm. And like, it's all about what it's like to be a beautiful, wealthy, idle young man. And that's mm-hmm. none of those are things that have ever applied to me. <laughs> So, like, I just, there's no there there for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, this movie that we watched today, I really found, like, a sympathetic, yeah. central character. Yeah. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. But, uh, 
So yeah, uh, her first film, Agnes Varda's first film, kind of flopped, uh, and it left her without another project for seven years. Mm-hmm. But when she came back, that project was Cleo from five to seven. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of deemed an instant classic in film circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that same year that that movie was released, she met and fell in love with Jacques Demy, who was the director of Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Yeah, what a couple. Yeah, they got married, and they, they were together until his death in 1990, yeah. and, and then to hear she never her, married again. to hear her talk about his death in, like, Beaches of Agnes or Varda by Agnes is just so heartbreaking because she loved him so much, mm-hmm. and she, like, really respected his work. They were, like, the ultimate director power couple. Oh, yeah. And it's just so... It's just so sad that she that he died and that she lived out the rest of her life and never never wanted to find love again because like she had an amazing love with him. And yeah, just, <laughs> I know oh it's God. very yeah, uh, it's really sweet. It's yeah. really sweet. Uh, so Varda worked steadily pretty much for five decades. I mean, mm-hmm. she kind of never really stopped. In all, she directed twenty five films. Uh, most of them were pretty well received, though I would say none of them really had the same impact on her career that like Cleo did, except maybe Vagabond. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, uh, her last film was a documentary called Faces Places. Mm-hmm. And that made a lot of top 10 lists in 2017. And it was nominated for best documentary feature at the Oscars, which mm-hmm. what won that year? I don't remember what won. 2019? 17. 2017? Ooh, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, um, but she also uh, was in a film called Varda by Agnes oh, in yeah. 2019. I think her daughter directed it, but it's just a career retrospective pretty much, but it's pretty good. Her daughter uh, was uh, fathered by the guy who plays Antoine in this movie. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah. There that's, you go. That's that. Keep it in the family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so yes, no, Varda passed away only last year. She had yeah. cancer, but mm-hmm. she she lived to the ripe old age of 90, and she was mm-hmm. she was always kind of like a badass feminist without ever really proclaiming herself a badass feminist. Yeah. She just kind of, you know, she didn't she didn't really ascribe to any kind of doctrine or anything or, or do much, like, research on what it means to be a feminist. She just kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah, women are being mistreated. I'm going to do something about it. Yeah, mm. you can, I think you can... Clearly, see in any of her films that she does love women, and she has a lot of empathy for women and women's stories. Yeah, and I think just by like her focusing her camera and her her lens on them, it became pretty apparent where she stands as far as what she thinks about women. Yeah, I'm gonna make a blanket statement that uh, may not hold up forever and ever, but <laughs> I think women are more interesting as film characters in general because. <laughs> Maybe it's because they're less represented. Maybe mm-hmm. it's because it's, for some reason, harder for people to write female characters and have mm-hmm. them be realistic. Mm-hmm. But, like, a really well-written, strong female character is going to be so much more interesting and complex than, like, a dude character to yeah. me. I I'll, I'll agree with you on that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's I, I don't like to speak in generalities, but I'm 100% correct on that <laughs> all the time, forever, in eternity. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, the one exception to this, I will say, is Bruce and Jaws, I think, uh, gives a very compelling male performance. (laughs) But uh, all other men smell. (laughs) They smell like poo-poo buttholes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, very much true. Very much true. (laughs) Uh, A couple of little bits and tidbits about uh, Cleo from 5 to 7. So the title is a misnomer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cleo from 5 to 6.30. Exactly. We only follow her from 5 to Mm -hmm. 6.30, and I I don't think that's as punchy of a title, Mm -hmm. but like... It's also, I mean, maybe it's pointing to the fact that 7 p.m. never comes, a la spoilers. She doesn't really get that closure. Well, she does, like, the the big thing she's waiting on was delivered to her early and in mm-hmm. a very uh, casual, yeah, kind of tossed sort of off way. Drop, yeah. So, yeah, so that, yeah, we're, we're 
Okay, I guess that would make sense. I was going to say what your take on why they chose the title mm-hmm. of the movie that way, but uh, I guess my take is like it's a waiting for Godot thing. Like the seven p.m. is that release that never really comes, mm. or it doesn't really arrive in the way you think it will. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of Varda's early inspirations was a French philosopher named Gaston Bachelard, uh, and his theory was called. I'm, I'm going to butcher this again. Mm-hmm. I apologize. L'imagination de matière, which is essentially saying that. We, as people, tend to surround ourselves with things that are uh, reflective of our inner psychoses mm-hmm. or, like, reflective of our of our emotional journeys, you know, mm-hmm. like material objects. Yeah. And you see a lot of that in this movie, especially with the use of mirrors. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, I think mirrors are definitely meant to represent Cleo and who she is. So mm-hmm. that comes up a lot in this. And that's just kind of an interesting framework to put that in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corinne Marchand, who plays Cleo in this movie... She was only 25 when she made this. She was on her third film. Oh, wait. Oh, my God. And she would only do about a dozen more movies. Uh, uh, Mostly she worked in French television and she was acting as recently as 2017, still with us, 88 years old. She's beautiful. Oh, my God. Looking at her face through the whole thing is mesmerizing. Yeah, she's a knockout for sure. Like in that very specifically 60s way, you know, like. Uh, so the short film that Raoul shows during this uh, has a bunch of other French filmmakers mm-hmm. in it, including Godard, mm-hmm. including uh, Eddie Constantine and uh, Anna Karina and just a whole bunch of like notable people on the French movie scene at that time. They all have little cameos in this uh, short film. Mm-hmm. And then finally, uh, the poster, this is just to kind of bring it back to uh, Roger's List trivia here. Mm-hmm. The poster in front of the movie theater is for the movie Elmer Gantry, which we discussed on In Cold Blood because mm. it was directed by Richard Brooks and we thought, hey, that one sounds ah. interesting. So, crossover. Nice. Whoa, whoa. Who knew? All hmm. right, let's talk about this movie. So, uh, do you have a do you have a pithy one sentence uh, summary sure of this movie do. for us? Wait, is it okay? Here we go. <clears throat> we anxiously await with Cleo while she sings, cries, pets kitties, awaits cancer test results, and forms true human connection from five to six thirty. Perfect. I think that that does that it. That about sums it up. That about sums it up. Yeah, it's uh, not a very plot-heavy movie. It is yeah. literally just about a woman waiting to hear back on test results to hear mm-hmm. whether or not she has cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just kind of the the we follow her pretty much in real time uh, from five to six thirty mm-hmm. as she talks to different people. The important thing to note about Cleo is that she's also uh, well, she's very beautiful and she's a pop star. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of fawned over a lot and Mm -hmm. she's kept and she's like maintained by a lot of different people she's very concerned about her image yes yeah very concerned about her image uh so the opening credits of this movie it uh Mm -hmm. really made me wish i spoke french like more so than most movies because what we get is a lot of like rapid fire images and then Mm -hmm. there's text on screen and then there's credits and it's the only part that's in color it's the only part that's in color uh so my thought on that was just that uh Everything's in color until this fortune teller delivers bad news. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then everything's boom, black and white. Right. Yeah. Then we're kind of in Cleo's headspace from then on out. Yeah. And everything's just a little more stark and a little more gray. And there's mm-hmm. not quite as much nuance to her life as she goes through. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the one of my favorite things in this, you know, so time is a very important element of this movie. The passage of time is mm-hmm. felt all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's reflected in the score and it's reflected in the sound editing as well. Yeah. You notice this opening scene where she's leaving the fortune teller. Her footfalls are in time with the the beat of the score, mm-hmm. 
which itself is like keeping kind of like a metronome sort of like pace. Yeah. So the foot sounds in this movie are so good. Oh man, oh, I love them. There's something about '60s and '70s movies where like you just hear uh, every footstep yeah. in the movies for some and, reason. And it like, sounds so that particular. Yeah, like the sound of men's shoes on linoleum or women's heels on like the wet streets of Paris. It's yeah. just such a particular sound. It's not too hard. It's a little like muted almost. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I love that. I love that too. Uh, the French Connection is a masterpiece of foot sounds. If nothing you want else, some good if, ASMR foot sounds. If you, if, you know, <laughs> I'm not. I, I don't love love that movie, but man, some good foot sounds. Maybe don't French Google it. foot sounds right now. Yeah, this. don't Google foot sounds. Yeah, maybe put safe search on before you do that. So that was a really cool touch. I thought that mm-hmm. you have this kind of propulsive beat like this heartbeat underneath the film that you even stop thinking about what did you think of the um speaking of the passage of time of the chapter markers oh um, yeah the time at the bottom what did you make of those so i i those were interesting because it's basically telling you exactly what characters cleo is going to spend time with and Mm -hmm. for exactly how long Mm -hmm. and you can kind of set your watch to it um and And it's uh yeah it's very mm-hmm. uh, uh it, it's it's a clever stylistic way of doing it, mm-hmm. so a lot of film snobs basically uh, <laughs> try to separate this movie from New Wave and they try and say this is this is a left bank movie oh, it's left a left bank, bank which to me all right this is why I think it's bullshit because I think the I like the idea of coming up with this whole other subgenre to categorize this is so that you don't have to take credit away from Godard for starting this movement and don't have yeah. to give it to a woman. Mm-hmm. That's what that feels like to me. Yeah. But the distinction is supposed to be that like left bank films are a little more experimental while new wave films are a little more verite. And I'm uh, I yeah. I'm I'm making the international jerk off <laughs> of that right now because no. Yeah. No, I don't see I don't think you could make that argument for Cleo at least. No. Or Vagabond. No, no, no. Because, I mean, all the other hallmarks are there. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's jump cuts and there's, like, the mixing of documentary with, like, fictional tales mm-hmm. and, like, the very stark kind of conversations. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, there's, there's nothing inherently uh, – there's nothing super, like, weird or out there about this movie necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it messes around with the format a little bit. Yeah. And you have those inner titles, like you said, to help mar- mark the passage of time. Which is an unusual thing in a movie, which usually, I feel like movies, well, we talked a little bit about movies' relationship with length mm-hmm. last week when we were talking about Metropolis, and most movies are trying to make you forget about the length of the movie. Yeah. Like, they want you to be caught up in the story, and this one's never really letting you forget exactly how much mm-hmm. time has passed. Yeah, that's a part of it. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if I would call this, at least by today's standards, I definitely wouldn't call it experimental. No. I think it's just sort of playing with form. And I I like your thought that the left bank sort of existed to like other Agnes Varda from the true canon. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that seems like bullshit to me. Yeah. And you know, like... I'm not trying to throw shade around because they she had a uh, a friendly relationship with all those guys and all those guys well, respected her. In um, Faces Places when she goes to visit Godard and oh, he's not there. He's a famous asshole. I don't know. He's he's been a dick to everybody. <laughs> Amazed he's still alive actually. I was yeah. surprised to learn that today. Yeah. Um so one of the big important things about Cleo at least in her mind and at least in the perception of the movie is her beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh it's commented on early and often like the first thing she does when she stops after leaving the fortune teller's office is takes a long look in the mirror at herself mm-hmm. and she says uh as long as I'm beautiful I'm more alive than others mm-hmm. which is 
I don't know. She's, she's defining her value by her beauty and like yeah. beauty is equal to health and vibrancy and mm-hmm. uh, all these positive things. And so as long as she continues to look the way she does, mm-hmm. then she still matters and she's still alive. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that she feels that way since she is a pop star and like her beauty is probably being defined by men. Yeah. And her value is being defined by men, like the men who like gush all over her when she's in the bedroom who are like trying to make her laugh and mm-hmm. stuff. So that makes sense to me. It's interesting to me that like, I don't know, you, the first half of the movie, maybe you could read that Cleo is a little vain, but I never really felt like disdain for her for that. I was all, I think I was always on her side of like, I feel empathy for you. I can feel what you're going through. And like, I don't, I don't feel the need to shame her for it. No, I mean, I, yeah, she is vain and she is self-obsessed, but she's not a cruel person. She's not mm-hmm. uh, focused on herself to the detriment of other people. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's just, and and a lot of this upkeep is, again, how she just sort of defines herself and that's mm-hmm. how we see it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the the beauty itself isn't vilified, mm-hmm. but I think the, the, I think the, the subtext of what's being thrust upon her is to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and if you look at the way like Ange- Angela, who the, her assistant, like treats her, mm-hmm. she's idolizing and infantilizing at the same time. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, she is this, oh, you're this, you're this goddess, you're this mm-hmm. sex symbol, but you're, you're blah, this blah, blah. baby that needs to be taken care of. Oh, right. I need <laughs> to remind you to do your exercises, mm-hmm. which, by the way, her exercise routine <laughs> is getting in a negligee <laughs> and hanging from a pull-up bar. Surrounded by kittens. Surrounded by kittens. That seems pretty good to me. And then she gets down off it after like 30 <laughs> seconds. And she's like, oof, that hurts. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> Is this really all I needed to be doing? Like, I just needed to hang for 30 seconds yeah. above some kittens? Yeah. I, I love that scene. I think that scene is really funny. Oh, man, that's great. I love think- I just love thinking about, like, mm-hmm. someone wearing a little nightgown and a fluffy robe to the gym or something <laughs> and just doing this. Oh like, yeah, God. these are my workout clothes. Why? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I love early on in the diner scene where we're first speaking to Angela, like, uh, it's intentionally overwhelming. And... This is where we start to see the motif of the mirrors come in. She's surrounded by mirrors and the mirrors are kind of bifurcating the whole set Mm -hmm. so that like she's alone with herself while still surrounded by all this cacophony. Mm -hmm. Everyone's talking around her and about her and through her and she's not really paying attention because you can't just pay attention to one thread. Yeah. Like her assistant's talking to her and then there's this couple having this painful breakup next Mm -hmm. to her and there's all all this chatter Mm -hmm. And just so much chaos going on. And I think that's meant to reflect her headspace. Her headspace right yeah. now. She doesn't know where she is. I liked how that was gradually sort of let go as the movie goes on, um, especially near the end um, when she finally makes a human connection and it feels less like chaotic and stressful and anxiety inducing, even though we are like reaching the so called climax of the film as we go along. I find it gets more peaceful as it goes. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because. You know, it's uh, she's going through the stages, you know, of like trying to figure out what her life is going to be like and will she be okay and everything like that. And she does attain a sort of peace in it because she finds a connection and because she gets an answer that she can work with. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the lack of mm-hmm. it's the a lack of knowing. solid knowing, yeah, yeah, that that kind of is throwing her off early on. Yeah, oof. Yeah, really well done. Um, so yeah, Varda really likes shooting mirrors in this movie. Uh, you see, I mean. Um, Corinne Marchand is shot mostly 
not even mostly, but like there, anytime there's a mirror on screen, she's looking in it or yeah. any kind of <laughs> reflective surface at all, whether it's a shop window or a shattered glass, shattered glass or a, a rear view mirror of a cab. Like mm-hmm. she's always shot through some kind of glass. Mm-hmm. And I think that's meant to reflect her kind of self-obsession a little bit. And mm-hmm. the fact that she is a little kept, you know, mm-hmm. like, like your image in a mirror is just very, you know, the, the old, uh, the old belief that like it captures a part of your soul or something like that, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. So we're seeing her the way that the world is seeing her. And like, it's just all this kind of constant reflection. Did you feel that it was a bit of a turning point in the film when she takes off her wig and and she changes her clothes? Totally. Yeah. I didn't even realize that was a wig. Mm -hmm. And then like she combs her hair out and immediately I'm, I'm feeling terrible thinking, and I'm like, yeah, she does pull off every look. Yeah. Like she said that earlier in the I movie. I love it's that like, where she's like, everything suits me. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> You're yeah. one of those people. Everything mm-hmm. suits you. You're, it's working for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was great. Like she just kind of ditches this uh, sort of bouffant like hair extension thing that she's got going on. Mm-hmm. And she's just got, you know, this great little bob mm-hmm. haircut yeah, or whatever. And she still and looks beautiful. Yeah, yeah, of course. But but she at the same time, she also switches to a black dress because mm-hmm. she's in her mourning period. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the fashion in this is is gorgeous as well. You yeah. know, like you got to love this particular era of like French fashion. Mm-hmm. It's really cool looking. Even these ridiculous hats that she's trying on. <laughs> they do work for, I mean, the one that she ends up choosing that's like black and really pointy. Yeah. I was like, this is silly, but like, you're rocking it. Yeah, yeah. How Somehow it's working on her. And like <laughs> yeah. she even gives it to her friend later. It's like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, it looks good on her too. Like <laughs> I wear this, I would look like the point, you know, like that old yeah. cartoon of like the point. Yeah, yeah. I would look like that. <laughs> You should try it though. <laughs> I'm going to. <laughs> I love the, uh, I love a good, like, long driving scene mm-hmm. in a movie. Like, oh, well, okay, I should clarify because a, a long driving scene or a long shot of a car can also be like a really good indicator that you're in a good, bad movie. Mm. Think like Birdemic or oh. uh, Rock and Roll Nightmare or The Room or things like that. Just long scenes of driving with nothing going on. Mm. But here, it's really cool because, firstly, Cars in 1962 feel like, I don't know, they feel like they take skill to drive in a way that cars today don't. Mm-hmm. So this woman driving the cab through a lot of this is like... She's also driving through Paris, too, which feels like its Paris. own thing. If you've ever like been in Europe or anything, or, or really anywhere but the United States, like... Mm-hmm. Cars don't stop <laughs> for you. It also just feels like, I, I don't know, I've never been, but... From movies, it feels like there are just no rules on the streets. There's, there's like, no markers. People are just going wherever they want to go. This is accurate. This you is just accurate. hope that you don't get hit. Yeah. No, I, I, I've only I've, I've been to Paris once just for, like, three days. Oh, um, but that is kind of what it's like. Mm-hmm. And it's the same in Japan, too. We're, like... People are drivers are going to assume that you on the street know the rules of the road. Mm-hmm. They're going to assume you know better than to walk out in front of a car. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know better, then that's kind of on <laughs> you. They're not really going to stop for you. Yeah. So they won't give you a second thought. No, no, no. So, you know, my friend who was living in Japan at the time, he told me, like, you're not really considered like a local until you get hit by a car. Oh, like, most people get hit by a car. It is kind of a rite of passage I if you want to live here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I do love a good, like, long driving scene plus we get this nice time capsule of paris in 1962 we get to see all the workers on the street and you can tell that this is like this is documentary footage this isn't like sometimes they turn and they look at the camera yeah 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 Mm -hmm. yeah and this isn't like these aren't extras on the street getting out of the way you know this is like you're really driving Mm -hmm. uh and then of course we've got the stuff going on on the radio which i found fascinating as well and i'm wondering how many 
of these commercials were original and how many were just playing on the radio. The oh. one about the whiskey shampoo oh, yeah. really made me wonder. Like, oh, yeah. whiskey shampoo. I wonder if that's a thing. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I, I guess mean, I, I guess never really thought it, that they were manufactured. I always sort of assumed that they were real. Technically, I'm using a soap right now. It's supposed <laughs> to smell like IPA. Oh, really? So I guess it's possible. Huh. I don't does know it, if it has therapeutic value. Does it have value. hops? It, it smells... Honestly, it smells more like uh, grapefruit soda. It smells gotcha. like a fresca or something. Wow, or, that sounds yeah. like one of those novelty like bacon products. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but this is like a, it's a it's a it's a positive smell. I think. I hope. Yeah. Uh, yes. But there was another commercial that came out. It wasn't a commercial. It was a news flash talking about Edith Piaf, mm-hmm. and uh, who you know another French uh, pop star who was really big at this time, mm-hmm. and Varda couldn't have known this, but Edith Piaf would be dead within the next year. Wow of stomach issues. Like yeah. she had a really bad stomach uh, oh, ulcer and that's what Cleo's worried about too. Uh-huh. So I almost wonder if that was just a news report that came up and it's just kind of a good coincidence Ooh. or if it was structured into it because uh, huh. it parallels Cleo's yeah. journey so well. Here it is like she's this, she was only like 45 when she died, oh, something really? like that. And like that's, it's not impossible for it's not possible to think that Cleo is listening to this and mm-hmm. thinking like, oh my god, like it yeah. is entirely possible. It doesn't seems matter too that I'm a pop parallel star. Parallel to be a coincidence almost. But at the same time, we also don't see a reaction shot of mm-hmm. Cleo like absorbing any of this. Mm-hmm. So, so it could so, have been a happy accident. You think? I'm wondering. I'm wondering. For it's lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, an unhappy accident, <laughs> an ennui accident. <laughs> I don't know. That's not right words. Oh, I apologize. Ennui. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that's really cool. Um, one of my notes I wrote here, and I can tell exactly when I wrote this. I just wrote, "Wow, apartment porn." <laughs> Her apartment. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit! This mm-hmm. huge decadent loft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just beautiful. Covered in kittens, just at, mm-hmm. at least three kittens and a grand piano. A grand piano and like one of those drink trays. Yeah. Oh my god! I even wrote in the drink tray. She's got like all these pint glasses with pinup artists on them, and yeah. I'm like, "Ooh, I want this. This it's looks very great." Stylish. Very stylish. Super cool apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely want it. <laughs> um, yeah, and her workout outfit we talked about already. I wrote that at the same time. I, I think I was in my superficial moment of uh, observing the movie because I'm like, ooh, ooh outfits I want that. are, ooh, are I want in my some scene. I think it's important. There to you know. go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what is what is that? What does that outfit say about her? I think it's just that you know she's in her leisure time. Obviously, <laughs> she's floofy. It's time for her to be pampered. <laughs> yeah, she looked like she kind of she's all frilled up like a house. I cat, mean, all know? of her outfits, the three that I'm thinking of, the polka dot dress, the leisure outfit, and the last dress, all have this these great movements about them. Yeah, like when she moves, like the skirt on her polka dots move in such a flowy way, and like the feathers on those lounges seem to like bounce almost, yeah. and, like clouds, and even the last dress, which is supposed to be her sort of death in mourning, I am sad dress, has that like. That those slits in the bottom, yeah. That when she turns, kind of move in such a way. This movie has just such great movement. Yeah, I love the framing of all the shots, and I just think, oh, I just uh, pulls it off so well. Oh, it really does. It really, really does. Uh, you know, and she gets she gets counseled at one point not to talk about her illness mm-hmm. uh, in front of her her flaky uh, uh, Spanish boyfriend who's coming in like for his what daily 15 minute check-in yeah i don't know not even that like he's barely there Mm -hmm. but you get the impression like she's a bit of a kept woman yeah uh to a degree like maybe she's his mistress um Mm -hmm. because 
I don't know. There's just something about the framing of it, the way that she kind of gets herself into this feather feathery robe, yeah, and like does her exercises, and then it's yeah. like sprawled on like, the bed waiting for it him. It felt like arranged marriage kind of vibes, almost. Yeah, or but, like yeah, you definitely. And he was much older, so you definitely mm-hmm. felt like a power imbalance mm-hmm. here. But that was kind of something I appreciate about this movie is up until the end, which isn't even ro- like necessarily romantic, is yeah. like that the movie is solely focused on her. Yeah. And it's about her experience and her anxiousness. And it's not really about her relationship to men necessarily, which no. I think is refreshing. Yeah, yeah, not even necessarily. Like two, well, uh, three important men come into her life if you mm-hmm. count Bob. And like they they come and they go and they have their utility and they have their purpose, but mm-hmm. it is, it, it doesn't ever become like a love story necessarily. No. It's not, it's, and I don't think that's the end message of the movie either that like she finds hope because she finds a man, you know, yeah. I don't think that's what it's trying to say. Mm-mm. Like you don't even necessarily, well, I mean, maybe I'm misreading that. Like, there's a romantic vibe. Never mind. I was going to say you don't even necessarily get I mean, a romantic vibe well, off the two There's, of like, a true connection vibe. Yeah, there's yeah. There's definitely, like, a seeing eye to eye, like, two strangers meeting, and, and they clearly have just human chemistry vibe. Yeah. But I didn't get, like, I wasn't, it didn't, I mean, I guess it sort of reminded me of Before Sunrise and that, like, you're watching these two people sort of flounder around a European city for yeah. a little bit, and it's nice I and got lovely. that vibe, too, yeah. Yeah, but, like, I, I, at the end, I, was, I wasn't thinking, ooh, are these two going to end up together? Because I guess it feels like it doesn't really matter. No. No, not necessarily. Like, he's about to go off to the Algerian front at the end of the day anyway. Mm-hmm. So okay. it might just be this kind of fleeting moment. Mm-hmm. Another, like, time, another deadline, another, like, but now she has to <laughs> Cleo from five to eight. Yeah. Yeah. And she has a uh she has a pendulum in her apartment too, do you notice mm-hmm. the big swing? Yeah. Yeah. So like she swings on that and it's just more more mm-hmm. time themes. Time is always moving forward. This whole rehearsal sequence where Bob and uh what was the other guy? Serge, Bob and Serge when they show up to kind of work through some new numbers with her. Mm-hmm. Uh it's clearly like it's a very convivial relationship between the three of them mm-hmm. while while Bob is also clearly harboring like a crush on her. Mm-hmm. Uh and <laughs> So it's like, it's very fun and they're all just kind of singing around singing these songs and the camera's like dancing, which yeah, I love, like, yeah. because they're not dancing when they're singing, but the camera's like swaying, moving uh-huh. from person to person. Like, yeah, such control. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Really. And cameras are heavy back then. <laughs> and when, and when Cleo has her solo too, and we get like right dead center on her. I was like that, that scene tripped me out a couple times. Cause it's like, firstly, we're in this little verite moment where she's just singing the song where mm-hmm. it's clear it's going to be this long, unbroken cut of her singing the song. Mm-hmm. And then the camera shifts slightly and she's in this all black background mm-hmm. and it looks like a dream sequence. Yeah. And I'm yeah. thinking it's doing that thing where it's like, it's becoming all dreamy. And mm-hmm. and then it, the camera pulls back again when she's done and it's just a black curtain and yeah. the reverie's broken. Uh-huh. But like... She knows, and we know that mm-hmm. we just witnessed some kind of like dreamy little moment, mm-hmm. but it's still based on a real, yeah, instance. And yeah. like that, that's I don't know. That was really skillfully done. Yeah, I thought. it's very subtle. Like it doesn't have to be this overt like dream sequence. Yeah. Now it's just very composed and measured. Like this whole film is just. I th- I think that this whole film is sort of commenting on the anxiety that anxiety you feel when you have. Uh, to a much smaller degree, like something coming up and you're in those, those terrible hours of waiting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it also captures like the, those human moments and, and how, 
how hard it can be to live in the moment when you're that anxious. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So she goes out onto the street after this is where she removes her wig finally, mm -hmm. puts on her little black dress, and goes out to see the grossest street performer she can find. <laughs> oh, yeah, apparently. the frog man. The frog. <laughs> I really want to know what the prestige of this is. <laughs> yeah. Like, are those frogs okay? Because this man on the street is just eating frogs and then vomiting seawater. Like, yeah. it's really gross. It is gross. <coughs> is it, I also want to know is that a thing in Paris? I, or was it a thing? <laughs> I don't know. That's why I really wanted to see this payoff. Like, she got grossed out and walked away. <laughs> yeah. And then she finds another street performer later who's like sticking a knife through his oh, bicep. Yeah, that was hard to watch. And. I've seen that before. I've seen like David Blaine do that one before. It's, You've it's, seen David Blaine? Well, no, I've seen him on TV doing that. Like, I was about to have so many more questions. Oh my God, no. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever paid money to see a magician. Good. I'm thinking back. No, I don't think I have. <laughs> um, but I've seen TV specials, you know. Sure, gotcha. Chris Angel mind freak. <laughs> he, you know what? He, what's really cool about Chris Angel is he takes the mind and he freaks it. He just freaks it. Whoa, I did not know that about him. Oh, it's hard to watch sometimes, but man. <laughs> yeah, but that, that crazy frog eating act, I'm like, what is this? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so the, the, we get this long sequence of, well, there are really no long sequences of this. It's a 90 minute movie, mm -hmm. but we get this sequence of uh, first person point of view of Cleo walking down the street and just all the reactions to her. First, it's like, it's lascivious stares by men. Sometimes they're glancing and sometimes there are these long, unnerving looks. Mm -hmm. And then you also get looks from like women as well. Like yeah. some of them are looking very judgmentally at her. Some of them mm -hmm. are looking disdainfully. Some are looking longingly. Like, yeah, I liked that. I like, I was reading somewhere in a non-Roger Ebert review of this Ooh. film that it, um, this is one of the few sort of French New Wave films directed by a woman. Well, obviously, this yeah. is one of the few films directed by a woman in this time period where you can actually really feel that it was directed by a woman. Yeah. Because you can, f like, feel the diversity of the male gaze and, like, how, how women are judged in such different ways and by everyone. It's really something to see it, like, when you're looking down the barrel, mm -hmm. you know, when, when you're put in that perspective and, like, yeah, some of these looks, like me as a 36-year-old unattractive man, I was sitting there watching this, and it's like, <laughs> I'm unsettled, uh, like yeah. looking at the the way that this man is looking mm -hmm. at me, yeah. like as the audience surrogate, mm -hmm. like it's unsettling. Yeah. And and even if his intention isn't malicious, like mm -hmm. it feels like you could just, yeah. you could just feel him, you can, you can feel his eyes on you, mm -hmm. and it's really unsettling. And it's I think an it's, unsettling feeling, and it is, I mean, it... It's still going on fifty years later. Yeah. Um. And I. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's. It's nice to see that captured. Yeah. At least, it's relatable. <laughs> For sure. And it's really. I think it's just really poignantly done in the way. And, and it's simple too. It's just mm -hmm. a first-person camera shot. And I'm sure she's just kind of like. I'm not sure if maybe Corinne Marchand is holding the camera at this point mm. and walking down the street, or if she's just walking alongside a camera and people yeah. are just looking at her. So I don't know, but it, it feels like documentary footage again. Mm -hmm. And it may not be this, these could be extras, but I'm, I'm mm -hmm. not certain, but it, it feels real. It's hard to tell. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, and this is where she goes to see her friend Dorote, who is also like, she's like a model mm -hmm. uh, and she's doing like some, uh, some nude modeling, some nude art modeling. Mm -hmm. And I really love the first time we hear like her inner thoughts is just, uh, Oh, Cleo's here. She's so pretty and so kind. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I like that. The one time we go into another character's head, it's just so that she could say something very yeah, sweet. Something supportive. 
negative. Like Aww. she's just like a nice person. Yeah. You know? Um, and yeah, so she's she's doing this nude modeling and then she she leaves there. And I love, love, love the conversation that they have out when they're going out. She's just saying like, don't you feel exposed? Like blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'd be worried about people looking at my flaws. And Dorothy's response was, uh, my body makes me happy, not proud. Yeah. I really love that idea, Aww. that philosophy of like, you know what? Yeah, you don't need to like you don't need to be proud of your body necessarily. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be proud of every little part of you, but you know it should you make you happy. You can be happy with it. You can be at peace with it. Yeah, and that kind of came up later in the conversation at the end when um, when they were talking about the naked body and how that's like the human at its most pure. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I really like. Mm-hmm. They go to see uh, her boyfriend Raul, who has made a little short film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be honest, the short film I didn't really get a whole lot out of like yeah, I guess it just sort of felt like almost a parody of like French New Wave like the kid with the balloon kind of thing you yeah know? a little bit while, while also like a little bit of Buster Keaton in there yeah. and like it was I think what I got from that scene was that it, we've witnessed Cleo experience a range of emotion and this is the first time to my memory that I've seen her like genuinely laugh yeah and it seemed like she was having a good time watching this film um so that's what it was for me was just another sort of facet of Cleo. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we get outside and she sees a shattered mirror on mm-hmm. the ground, which obviously represents like her own fear of like, you know, she's this image captured in a mirror and now the mirror is shattered and ugly. Mm, yeah. It's you a know. bad sign. There's a really, really cool kind of running theme going on throughout this movie that sort of heightens the irony of a lot of Cleo's concerns in a really interesting, like existential way. If you think about like, I don't know. I, I couldn't stop thinking about Edith Piaf and about other uh, pop stars who died young, mm-hmm. who became kind of trapped in amber. You know, they became this point of fascination forever in a way that doesn't happen to people who live mm-hmm. to be 80, 90 years right. old. A symbol of youth and innocence. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And as terrified as Cleo is of dying, which she, you know, is, is a normal human response she's ignoring the kind of idea that like she will live longer in society if she were to die this very minute. And we see this happening over and over with the use of old women in the background. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that? Like when they're on the bus at the end, she she and Antoine and like, uh, an old woman gets kicked off the bus when she tries to get on, Mm -hmm. like even though there's room, like she just gets kicked off. And then when they're driving, like they pull up to a stop, there's an old woman at the stop, like in between them in the glass behind them, Mm -hmm. like waving for them to stop and they don't stop. It's because like these old these, women are invisible. They've been they've been relegated mm-hmm. to this kind of like invisibility. They're 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 put in the background in a very literal way. Yeah, and Oof. you know, and I think it's telling that Cleo's kind of oblivious of this going on. Yeah, uh, she still has her youth. She does. She still has her youth. Whatever else, like you know, if she were to die this moment, she would die as this incredibly beautiful woman who never mm-hmm. lost any of that luster. Right. Uh, but that's not something that she's kind of in a place to hear or think about. No. And I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting thing running through the movie. And I wasn't sure if I was just kind of pulling that out of my no, ass or I, not. But I, like, no, I think yeah. that is also a theme that's been kind of apparent in Agnes Varda's other works. So oh, really? I think you're dead on, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Like, I, I like the, the casual revel. I just put a note here. It's like, wow, they say cheese to smile over there too. <laughs> Which I guess makes sense. Fromage! <laughs> that doesn't look the same as when you say cheese. Uh, I don't know. That made me laugh. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Yeah, so again, we get long takes of driving through Paris. Like, I love the scene where she's kind of walking down the steps and singing that goofy song about how yeah, hot she is. I love that too. And like, 
then when she stops singing, the birds are like singing along. There's, mm-hmm. They're ke- keeping the melody going. Yeah. Like it's so yeah. subtle, but like the, it's it's like, yeah, that's really happening. Yeah. And as she's walking, like she goes into the forest and the, the, because she's wearing that black dress, mm-hmm. she literally fades into the background. Yeah. And it's like, this is her concern. This is her like walking into these woods and disappearing. Like mm-hmm. this is everything she's afraid of. Yeah. But she's walking towards it with a song in her heart. So she's kind of reaching yeah. this kind of uh, acceptance. Growth. Yeah, no, it really is. It really is. She was... This kind of jittery mess by the but at, the at the beginning, yeah. But that, like you said, that's that turning point when she mm-hmm. takes her wig off and she's like, "I'm going to use my real hair, my real personality. I'm going to wear the clothes I want to be wearing. Damn if it's Tuesday or not." <laughs> and what, no is new that clothes a, on Tuesday. Is that a thing? I know I've never heard of that before. Okay, that felt like like I, I meant <laughs> like to a look we it wear up. When pink on Wednesday type thing. Yeah, right. It, <laughs> it felt like I, I think I think ultimately it was kind of a parody of those like very arbitrary fashion rules about like, like no not after, after Labor, Labor Day, Day stuff like that. Yeah. Like all these fashion don'ts that you're supposed mm-hmm. to avoid. Like Cleo, I'm sure at the beginning would be very cognizant of, or at least. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of. Oh, very much so. But mm-hmm. as she's at this point where she's like, you know what? No, fuck mm-hmm. it. It's Tuesday. I want to wear my <laughs> new hat and um, I'm going out and I'm going to do my <laughs> Hell yeah, Cleo. pointy head thing. <laughs> it's Tuesday. I'm wearing my new hat. Yeah. So, uh, the movie kind of ends, uh, in the park, well, not really in the park, but it ends in the park where she meets Antoine, who is a young soldier who is about to ship off to the Algerian front uh, during the Algerian Revolution at the time, which I think was on the cusp of ending. Mm. Uh, we'll talk about that more when we discuss the movie Battle for Algiers mm-hmm. by uh, uh, Puente Corvo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get to that in a while. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so she meets Antoine and he's initially... Kind of picking up on her, uh, seems a little sleazy. She's not super into it. Yeah. But the more they talk and the more she kind of realizes that he's like, you know, he, he's not uh, he's not posing a threat. Yeah. And that he actually wants to talk to her and yeah. have a conversation Yeah, I think they develop her. a nice, like, repertoire. I don't know, like a repartee, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Out of every conversation that she has in the movie, this one kind of seems like the one where she has her guard down the most. And this is definitely the point that felt most, like, before sunrise like, like <laughs> yeah. especially especially them getting on the bus like yeah. i think they take that exact scene in before yeah, sunset they're, wa- they're walking and then they get on the bus and then they get off the bus yeah 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 i think it's I, it, it almost even looks like the exact same bus like 50 <laughs> years apart so yeah. uh oh. and it's a damn shame that more link later films aren't on this list there's one which one is it? waking life uh, which is great but come on the sunset trilogy like or the yeah. before trilogy I, come, come on. on come on people come on <laughs> roger um, so we we finally we end up at the hospital, mm-hmm. uh, which is where Cleo's been t- waiting to go at seven o'clock so she can get her test results. Mm-hmm. I didn't really expect there to be any kind of payoff mm-hmm. to this. Like, yeah, and there, I mean, there is, but it doesn't really feel like payoff. Well, that's the thing. Like this movie, it, it isn't structured like a mystery. Mm-hmm. Like it's n- never for a moment do you feel like the movie is leading you towards a, a solid answer on any of this. Yeah, it doesn't you, you feel understand like a, a ticking time bomb or anything like that. No, no, you understand it's meditative. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, thinking about this kind of stuff rather than giving you any concrete answers. So I was surprised when they actually kind of addressed her illness, mm-hmm. but they do it in this very intentionally thrown off way. Like mm-hmm. the doctor doesn't even get out of his car. Mm-hmm. He just drives by. He sees her and he just says, "Oh, you've got nothing to worry about. Yes, you do have cancer, but uh, two months of chemo will clear that up." Yeah, he's so like, like nonchalant about it. Like he's, he's so like, not oh. he's so not worried about it. And like, I feel like if I'm Cleo and I'm hearing you have cancer, you need two months of chemo, I'd be freaking out. But she yeah. seems very mollified by this. This yeah. is like, yeah, no, okay, this is 
this is what I was hoping for. I'll be okay. I can I can hack this, you know. Yeah. Which Crazy good attitude. Too, since, I mean, yeah, it's like what the whole movie has sort of been building up to. And then we get through, we follow her throughout her sort of internal thought process throughout the day. And when we finally get this news, this like supposedly like the worst news that she could get, she just, it's almost like a blink and you'll miss it moment. It yeah. almost doesn't matter anymore. No, no, it really doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the movie closes with the two of them walking in silence. And again, we're closing out on footfalls as they get slower mm. and slower yeah. and slower. And then when they stop, fade to black, end of movie, no credits, that's it. Just boom, yeah. end of movie. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think happens to Cleo? Do you think we just witnessed her, one of her last days? Or do you think she'll do chemo and recover fully? Well, I think this is very much like the ending of The Sopranos. Like I think uh-huh. someone came up and shot her and uh, <laughs> we're supposed to be ambiguous because it cuts to black, gotcha. but we all know. No, no. <laughs> no, I, well, I think... Mia. I think Cleo's going to be fine. I think um, I think she's going to get past this, but she's a young woman and she's kind of just had to contend with her mortality in a real way for probably the first time in her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we don't learn much about her family or about her upbringing or anything. It's possible she lost a grandparent or something, but yeah. I she doesn't strike me as a woman who's been touched with a lot of tragedy. Yeah. Um, she She's the way that people react to her and they treat her is that she is this, she's just, she's bubbly and she's beautiful and she's carefree and, and mm-hmm. you know, she, she doesn't live under this shadow. And I think what we've seen in this movie over the course of this 90 minutes is just, she's gotten a little bit of a dose of reality and she's gotten to see, she's, she's just gotten a little bit wiser mm-hmm. by the end. I think it's, it's interesting to compare this movie to Vagabond because they both are such portraits of such different women right with vagabond being about this homeless woman who 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 is kind of the polar opposite of cleo who has been given no sort of privileges who doesn't have like the traditional standard of beauty no um and following her for two hours in her journey and we learn to empathize with her even though she has like all these flaws and that's i mean i feel like cleo is just the other side of that coin yeah we're like there's no i mean like on paper this is like sort of a rich, privileged, white, beautiful white woman who has just learned this like anxiously devastating news and we, we follow her and we empathize with her. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's really, it's just a beautifully done movie. And uh, I hope people are watching along with this podcast and checking this movie out Mm -hmm. because I I don't know that I would have gotten to this otherwise. And I'm glad I got to it because I think. Do you think you'll watch other Agnes Broda movies now? Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll I'll, I'll check out uh, uh, Faces Places for sure. I've kind of been meaning to. I never got around to it. I think you should watch Faces Places. Mm -hmm. And I think you should watch Le Bon Hur, which is another narrative film about about infidelity. Uh, Okay. And then um, uh, The Gleaners and I is one that I would highly recommend. Perfect. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, we've got recommendations for all of you out there as <laughs> Agnes well. Agnes Varda starter kit. <laughs> yes, yes, let's do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about Cleo from Five to Seven? Did we cover um, it? I think we covered it. I'm just really happy that we that I got to watch one of the the female directed movies on this list, and I'm glad that it was this one. Yeah, um, it's it's a shame that there are only four, and I think that is like an oversight on Mr. Ebert's part. But if I he had to pick. I feel like that would be corrected were he still alive. I feel like we'd have more now Mm -hmm. Um, because that's the thing. Like Ebert was always like a big champion of female filmmakers, particularly female filmmakers of color. Like Mm -hmm. he always really went to bat for movies like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
So it is a little disappointing to see movies that he really loved, like like say like Eve's Bayou or mm-hmm. something, which could have been put on this list. Yeah. Or, or uh, I'm trying to think of um, Daughters of the Dust. Daughters of the Dust would have been good. I'm trying to think of a Catherine Bigelow movie that he would have liked, but oh. I don't remember. If, mm, I don't know if he near just, dark. Or? I don't know. He he wasn't a big genre guy. He didn't yeah. really like. I don't know. So I, I wonder if you like, but like, <laughs> I feel like on the, on the state side, like, uh, uh, Bigelow is the name that gets tossed out all the time. Like yeah. if you're, if you're making the list, you know, like her name is cause she's the first one to win the Oscar. Right. Um, but I don't know if any of her movies would make it on this list. Do you think Ava DuVernay would make the list? I think Ava DuVernay would make the list for sure. Mm-hmm. Cause like if you watch the movie, uh, life itself, the documentary, like she's in there a lot. Mm-hmm. Like she and Romain Barani, uh, are both like independent filmmakers. They were close friends with Ebert. Yeah. Like, and he really championed them specifically as kind of the next wave, you mm-hmm. know? And, uh, yeah. So I definitely think Selma would have been on there. Nice. Like for sure. Or yeah. 13th maybe. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, we could have had, well, we could have had, <laughs> give it time, give it time, make another list. And, uh, <laughs> Ladies, keep keep making movies, please. <laughs> please, I love we them. need you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we are Rogers List. You can find us at Rogers List Pod on Twitter, and that's our email address at gmail.com, and uh, that's our letterbox page. So uh, where would you like to rank this movie? Oh, yes. Our, our well, ongoing rankings. Where do you think I'm going to rank this? <laughs> I think this is going to be your number one, if I had to guess. Yeah, surprise, surprise. I like this more than In Cold Blood. Okay. This is my number one. Nice. Well, perfect. Uh, guess what? This is my number one too so far. So <gasps> you know, you know, uh, I love cold. I love cold blood, but yes, 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 I, yes. I, I, I love. This is just a rich, meaty stew of a movie. There's just so much to dig, dig right. into, so much to relate to. Yay. It's beautiful to look at. It's, it's just. Uh, oh man, I'm so glad you liked it. I genuinely. loved it. No, I loved it absolutely. Oh. I, I highly recommend Cleo from five to seven. You can find oh, it on yeah. the Criterion Channel. Uh, which I hope everyone has. What are we watching next week, Steve? Oh, next week we are watching another, uh, not a female-directed movie, but a female-centered movie. We are oh, yeah. watching John Cassavetti's A Woman <laughs> Under the Influence, starring Jenna Rollins. Uh, very excited to revisit this movie. It's oh, been man. years for me. It's an event. I have been, I love this movie, but I've been putting off the rewatch because I'm like, we gotta get it's like, emotionally prepared. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta get yourself in the right headspace yeah. for it. It's very intense, but it's a brilliant film. I'm yeah. excited. Uh, I hope uh, if y'all are listening, are uh, watching along with us, check out a woman under the influence. We'll be talking about it in one week's time. Until then, if you have any questions, comments, uh, stories about watching movies, thoughts and perspectives on anything we've said, write in rogerslistpod at gmail.com. Uh, and so I must say au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir, au revoir. everyone. Uh, goodbye, my French will only get worse from here. Oui, 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 baguette. Je suis une maison vide sans toi, sans toi. Comme une île déserte.